at this guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an interesting guy. We were in a summer series called Trip Advisor, and I love road trips. I uh, grew up as a kid taking road trips every summer. Our family loved to camp out. We loved to go fishing. We loved to go boating. We almost always had a camper. As a matter of fact, my dad, amazing guy, big visionary, before motorhomes existed, he went and designed with someone a oversized camper that he was going to put on a big dually uh, pickup frame. And it was like the biggest camper built in those days. It was hand-built. And I remember going to the shop with him and looking at this thing being built on this big truck. And everywhere we would go camp out in this thing. And this is in the 60s. I'm just a little guy. People would say, where did you get that camper? They don't make campers like that. He would say, I had it made. Because there were seven of us. Now, if you've ever been in a camper, seven is a big number. Would you agree? And one of the the memories I have is we all had our own personal drawer. Five kids. And that space about this wide, about that deep, we would take that into our bedrooms and our parents would say, you pack whatever you want to take for the week, but it all has to fit in that drawer. Now for me, I had room left over, but I have four sisters. (laughs) They had a problem, believe me. But we made it. But I remember sitting up there in the top of that bed, hanging over the cab and windows and watching the traffic go by. How many of you have memories like that in a camper somewhere? It's just so much fun. Nehemiah did not have a camper. Nehemiah had a struggle. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes. And uh, one of his brothers shows up with some friends and they have a conversation. And Nehemiah finds out that Jerusalem, where all of his ancestors are buried, is in shambles. The walls have been ripped down. The gates have been burned with fire. And he's devastated. We looked at it last weekend. He literally went into a no eating. Uh, he was mourning, uh, fasting, praying. Just just a really took it really hard. And he couldn't believe this was happening. And so he decided to do something about it. We pick it up today with him going to Jerusalem and getting favor from the king to go see if he can make something happen. So... First thing I want you to write down in your, in your bulletin there, if you have one on the back as the outline, is this. Nehemiah has vision. Nehemiah has an amazing vision to get this thing done. Now I'm going to be looking at several chapters in the book of Nehemiah today. And we're going to start with chapter 2 because it, it's all part of the story. Early, this is verse 1, early the following spring... In the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. What a statement. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asks, well, how can I help you? 
which I thought was very interesting. It shows the trust and the relationship here. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Nehemiah didn't just say, Oh, that's sad for them. He didn't just say, Oh, that's too bad. That would be a big job. It'll probably never happen. He said, I have a vision to make it happen. That's a, that's a huge statement. It's a big undertaking. And I kind of want to just start personally with this message this weekend and ask you a question. Do you have a vision for your life? Or is life pushing you into living out just to survive? The difference is huge because sometimes I think probably, honestly, probably less than 25% of people actually understand what their personal life plan vision is. And they are pursuing it passionately. Most people are living their lives in a way that says, I'll wake up today and whatever happens, I'll handle it. But I would like to reverse that today. I'd like to really challenge you to say, how can I realign my life? How can I realign my vision and how I want to live so that I know five years from now I'm going to land right there? Now, I know this is a guessing game and you're going to make adjustments But I think it's imperative for you to be able to get up every day and go, I'm still going there. I'm going to make this happen. Because big vision doesn't happen unless people align themselves with it and keep pressing toward it. Are you making life happen? Or is life making your life miserable? Um, The three categories that most all of us have in our life with everything that happens to us. And it's not in your notes, but I'm just going to say them real fast. The first category is things that are totally beyond my control. Every one of us in these auditoriums today have things happen to us that are totally beyond our control. Like what would one of those be? Any thoughts? Weather is is a perfect one. Weather is a perfect example. You, how many of you have ever prayed for the weather? Okay. How many of you are afraid to raise your hand? Right. The truth is there are a couple weather uh, miracles in the Bible, so I think you could pray for weather. But man, I've learned that when I pray for weather, it just never happens. It's like I stop praying for weather because I just think maybe God created this earth to work the way it works, and it really matters because I remember Erica, one of our daughters, coming to me and we were talking about wedding dates, and she said, "Well, Dad, we've decided to have an outside wedding. When you have an outside wedding in Colorado, it's a risk. Would you agree?" And, and, and then she, I said, when? She said, May. <laughs> she said, we believe it's going to be a great day. I said, honey, you can have a foot and a half of snow in May. And it'll be one of those freak storms, you know. And I just knew, I, I was just like, oh, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Have an inside wedding. No, it's going to be outside. No, have an inside wedding. No, it's an outside wedding. Well, it was an outside wedding. And uh, perfect day. Absolutely amazing. One week Later, on the same Saturday, one week later exactly, was the Windsor tornado. And it wiped out the venue where we had the wedding. It was unreal. And so she picked the right day. But did God do that? I don't think so. Um, So you can pray for the weather if you want to. But anyway, that's beyond my control. i got to move on. Okay, so so the the next category is things that are somewhat out of my control. 
Like, you have things that you can kind of control. Health is a good example of this. You, you can be eating right, exercising, and it's your responsibility to take care of your body. And, and you can make choices that might give you a, a, a better life, a healthier life, and deal with less issues. But stuff could still happen to you. We live in a weird, fallen world. You know, when you hear stories about these triathletes or marathon runners, they drop dead at 48 of a heart attack, and you go, I'm going to order a burger, you know, every day. For the rest. What's it matter? You know, so you, you can kind of control certain things, but there's other things you can't really control. The third category is things that you totally can control. And that would be things like your behavior, your choices, your attitude, things that you have control over, your reaction to people, your response to situations, your life on this earth. You are responsible for that. Nehemiah took the things that he could do and the vision that he believed God was giving him and he took the risk to go live the vision that he thought God was calling him to live. Now that's living. And that's the challenge that I want all of you to receive. Make certain that you are living a vision that you are making happen in your life instead of life making you live a certain way. Number two, everyone has a place of ministry. Everyone has a place of ministry. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He finds that it's all true. It's a total mess. And the gates have been burned. The walls have been knocked down. And he wants to go there. So... Nehemiah chapter 3, if you have your Bible, it's just a fascinating chapter. But if you read the Bible through, like sometimes, you know, I'll take a year and I'll say, I'm going to read the Bible through this year. When I get to chapters like Nehemiah 3, I sort of like skim read it. Do you know what that means? If you've ever read the Bible through, you know what that means. You know, Leviticus especially, the whole book is a skim. But, but, but this is one of those chapters. Let me just give you an example. Let me just read a few verses. Then Eliashib the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it to set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zuchar, son of Emrite. And it goes on and on and on. I thought about just reading the whole chapter to make a point, but the names are really hard. <laughs> Here's the point I want to make. Every person mattered. All of you matter. This, this, this doesn't say, look what Nehemiah did. He took the time to put every name, every tribe, even the forefathers, even ancestry, into this chapter to say, these are the people who made it happen. I love that. We all have a place of ministry. We are all called to the purposes of Scripture. Your life matters on this earth. No one else is equipped the same as you. And God had something in mind when you were born. And He was forming you before you were born. You know, I love this at Timberline because as pastors we're called to equip you, the church, to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. And you are great at it. Thank you for being a church that rolls up your sleeves and says, How can I serve? What do you want me to do? Because not all ministry is easy or fun. It can be challenging. (laughs) I did read chapter 3, and I came across verse 14. If you have a Bible open, just glance down. You'll get a head start on everybody else. I'll put it on the screen. The dung gate was repaired. And it lists all the people who worked on the dung gate. 
you know, how would you like to be that crew? What are you doing? Oh, I'm working on the dung gate. Man, it's exciting. Come on over here and smell it with us. You won't believe it. That's where all the trash from the city would go. And everything else from the animals included. That was a smelly place. But it took people who would say, there is no job that is beyond me. I will help. And I hope we always have an attitude that says we will do whatever is put before us in order to advance the kingdom of God. Isn't it fascinating that you never really fully appreciate a toilet until you don't have one and you need one? Right? That's why it's included in this story. That's why it matters that these guys worked hard on this dung gate. Well, number three, you will face opposition. This is just part of the journey. When you have a vision, I promise you, not everyone will like it. That's just human nature. I don't understand it fully, but I'm telling you, it's real. We jump to the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, and we meet these people who are so hateful and so angry. Verse 1 of Nehemiah 4, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage. He mocked the Jews saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Because they were reusing some of the stones that were in the fire. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Wow, they're just being, what are they, in middle school? And, you know, it's just ridiculous. But I love verse 4. Then I prayed. You know, what do you do when you get criticized? What do you do? You bounce words back and you say it back and you Facebook them back and you tell them how it is. Nehemiah prayed. I love this. His prayer is kind of fun. Hear us, O God. We are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Nehemiah is taking his anger to God. Great idea. That's the best place you can take your anger. Now, he prayed a vicious prayer. Blot them out. Burn them. You know, it's just kind of like, I'm done with them. But he trusted God to do what God would see fit to do. And God did not do all the things he said that he wanted God to do. But at least he got it out. And sometimes we make it worse when we go head to head with somebody who's just going to oppose us no matter what we do. You know what I suggest? You just keep doing the vision God's put in front of you. You just keep plotting. You just show up tomorrow. And you just keep working it. And you don't have to answer all of the criticism that comes to you. I remember in a sermon years ago, shortly after I became the pastor of this church, I, I, I really have always, since I was like 16 years old, prayed that I would see a city come to faith. A whole city. I've always wondered what would really happen to its, its crime base and its, you know, just how, how would a city look if it's fully... And I know that's probably going to only be in heaven, but I, I've prayed that. I've prayed that for Fort Collins. I've prayed it for Northern Colorado. Any city. It doesn't even have to be the city I live in. But I remember saying that in a sermon, that my vision is to see a city fully repent and come to faith. 
And we had a guest that day in the service. We were a very small church at the time, and we had a guest that day who came up to me, and he was pretty frustrated with me, and he was from some other state, and, and he said, you know, what you said today about reaching a whole city for God, um, I think that's really arrogant. And I said, man, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I said, the fact is, the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to reach the entire world. What's a city? <laughs> he didn't come back, but. <laughs> when you have vision and you lay it out there, somebody's going to oppose it. And they're going to say mean things. You know what these guys faced? They faced ridicule. They faced prejudice, calling them these poor, feeble Jews. They faced mockery of their beliefs because they had made sacrifices on an altar to God and they were mocking that. Do they think sacrifices are going to build all this? They poked fun at the quality of work. If a fox walked on the wall, it's going to fall down. It's terrible. But it just teaches us that sometimes we don't need to play that game. Be the church. Be the man of God. Be the woman of God. And just stay at it and do what God has asked you to do. Let's look at this next thing, because this is some healthy tips. Number four, we must learn to overcome unhealthy distractions if we're a leader and we have a vision and we want to make things happen. Because there will always be unhealthy distractions that come into the middle of when you're trying to work the hardest. For this, we jump over to chapter six. I hope you can read the whole chapter. Verse one. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not set up the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent, me, sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I love this message, you guys. Listen to this. Quote, I am engaged in a great work. (laughs) I am engaged in a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. I've just got something bigger to do than hear you whine about it. That is a mission. That is a statement about purpose, intent, heart, and passion. Nehemiah was not going to let these distractions destroy what he was called to do. You know, we're so consumed by criticism. Um, We're so consumed with our self-images and what people think about us. The world is just eating that up. Let me ask you just a real question, okay? Let's take just a minute with this. What usually gets an unhealthy response out of you? What's the one thing, like, I'm a pretty patient person, but every now and then something just pushes my button. Do you have one of those? If you're married, ask your spouse. They know. Like, you know, like, there's an example, and most of us can relate to this. When people don't drive like you. Isn't it true? I was sitting at a left turn signal. I was like the fourth car back, maybe fifth. And some of the signals in Fort Collins, if you're four or five, you might not make it. So it's really important when it turns green that everybody goes. Are you listening to me? So, so I'm sitting there, and it tur- the green arrow comes on, and that front car does not move. And it does not move. Eight hours goes by, and it does not move. It feels like it. And 
if I would have been behind him, I would have given him like the, the nice honk. Like, you know, you can look up from your cell phone for a second. But no one honked. And I'm back there thinking, and it finally turned yellow and they took off. I was beside myself. I was just... Or like at the grocery store, when I was in the, the fast checkout lane, 15 items or less, and the person in front of me, it wasn't that they had too many items, I had like three, and they got into this conversation, I could hear it, I'm, I'm, I got my stuff on the counter, and they start talking about this monsoon weather thing, and, and one of them was like a scientist who knew all about it, so they got into this huge discussion, the transaction was done. The, their, their bags are in the cart, and we're done. And they just kept on talking. And the clerk, and I'm, I'm right there. I've got my credit card out, and I'm, I'm trying not to act too impatient. And I'm thinking, could I pay for these before I take them to the car or before they spoil? You know, I've got bananas. I've got bananas here. Oh. One last one. It drives me crazy. You know, football season's coming back on. Are you happy about that? You know, it's kind of a cultural thing. Um, I think, I think when a football is thrown to a receiver and it hits them right in the hands, they should catch it. <laughs> Win agreement? My wife, it just drives me crazy. She'll, she, if we're watching the game and, and it's thrown right to them, there's nobody around, and they drop it, she'll go, oh, don't you feel sorry for him? <laughs> I'm like, no! Do you know how much money he's making to catch that stupid ball? you got to catch it when it's your turn, and that's what you do. Okay, I'll be serious now. You know what happens when you get distracted by unhealthy and inaccurate criticism? You lose all of your energy and focus, and you will not fulfill the vision. And I'm telling you, as a church, when we come under the gun sometimes, when people take pot shots at us, we're going to just say, whatever. God is our God, and he's put a vision in our heart, and we're going to believe God for a city, and we're going to believe God for a world. Why? Because God has put a vision in us, and we're going to be the people who work to make it happen. So make sure that you're not distracted. Nehemiah kept this vision alive, and he stayed focused. Number five, this is so powerful. The work is completed. The work is completed. In Nehemiah 6, verse 15, it's such a great sentence. It says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Now listen to this. Just 52 days after we had begun, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. You know, when you just keep your hand to the plow and you just keep moving and you keep showing up day after day and you're living with the purpose of God and you're living with the vision of God and you're doing the work of the kingdom, good things happen. And I want to just say, let your success that God gives you do the talking to your critics and let God be glorified for helping you complete these things. Go with the goers. You know, the last thing, I always like to do some real practical points that kind of reinforce the message. I have three or four things on there. Lessons to learn. Apply these to your life. Okay, Number one, always live with a vision. 
It might be that t- today's the first time you've really been challenged to think about this. And you need to take the next six months to a year to say, what is my life really supposed to be, God? And how can I align my values and go toward that thing? Do it. Start somewhere. Be clear about what you're doing on this earth. Number two, keep believing when others don't. You know, you don't have to have, you don't need to convince everybody that you're right about something. You do not need to live to prove something. You need to live for something. Big difference. Number three, stay focused. Stay focused. If there's one thing we learned today on this trip, advisor uh, uh, series, it's that Jerusalem would not have been rebuilt if Nehemiah had lost his focus. Number four, begin with the end in mind. There are many leadership books that talk about this principle, and it's basically saying, you know, if you're going to build a house, maybe you should have a set of plans made. <laughs> the more complex the building, the more detailed the plans have to, ha- have to be. And I think it's really important for us as believers as we walk with the Lord to have the end in mind. What do I want to look like in five years? What disciplines do I want to have in my life? Where am I going to be going? And that's going to have adjustments in it, but God's going to help us reach that place. My last thought before we pray is Bonnie and I took a dive class in college and became certified divers. And one of the things that we learned that they put into us over and over and over. And I don't know if they still use this phrase, but here's what it is. Quote, plan your dive and dive your plan. Plan your dive and dive your plan. That way you know you have enough air at the levels you're going to. You can get up safely. Plan it. And I just would like to say, work with God on planning your life and live that life that God has helped you plan. Because he does have a plan and a purpose for your life. Let's pray. Lord, it so matters that we believe this about our lives. We are not accidents. We are called by you. You know us well, intimately, while we were yet in the womb. Thank you for that. Help us to be really open and transparent today. With heads bowed in here, I just... I want to pray, first of all, for those of you that would be honest enough to just say, where I have to start today is I really need to figure out what God's plan is for my life. I really need to work on that. And I'm going to commit some time to saying, God, what is your plan for my life? Could I just pray for you if that's you? Hold up your hand. Just say, yeah, pray for me for that. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Lord, we as a church, we come in your name to pray for our family, our brothers, sisters, these young people, to say, show them your plan. Let them seek it out. Let them get the counsel of others. I just pray that they'll take the months they need to take to say, what am I really living for? What gets me up every morning? Am I doing the work of God in the way that He wants me to do it? Give us clarity in that. Secondly, I want to pray for some of you that would just say, man, I really need to stay focused with what I'm going through right now. If I don't stay focused, I'm going to get so distracted, nothing healthy is going to get done. How many of you need to stay focused right now? Okay. We want to pray for that. Lord, give us the tenacity to be able to just put our head down and focus on the right things to walk through this challenging time 
that we are going through now. It won't last forever, but you will help us through it and show us how to be faithful in the small things and to be focused. I trust you. You know, last thing, I felt prompted. This wasn't in my notes, but I really felt prompted to pray for some of you, and I don't want you to raise your hands. It's really personal, but some of you, the walls of your life have been collapsed. Relationships have fallen down. The gates have been burned. You're, you're a mess. And you need to just submit that mess. Humble yourself to the point where you just submit that mess to say, God, I'm a mess. I need to be rebuilt. Can I just pray that into your life right now? Lord, there's some families here that need to be rebuilt. There's some trust issues, relationships. And the walls have come down. And it's rubble all around them. And and they're going to lose hope if they don't get it today. Would you just show up and let them know you care? Just by the fact that we're talking about this, you sent them here to hear this. There is hope for you in your future. God can help put those walls back together again. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We offer our lives afresh. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Let us partner with you at every turn. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful that we're working on life together.